Well, good morning. Welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church. We are glad that you're here this morning. We're in this series called The Scarlet Thread. And what we're doing is looking at how how Jesus is not the plan B. He was not the backup plan, but Jesus has been part of the plan since creation, since the very beginning of our time as we know it. That's, that's how long, and that, that's amazing to me. So often we think of Jesus just showing up in the New Testament. But Jesus, this scarlet thread that we're talking about, shows up all through the Old Testament. We can't certainly have time to cover every single instance because it's all through the Old Testament. We're just showing you some highlights, some just some exciting highlights of how that is happening. Because the Bible is 66 books. It's written by over 40 different authors over the course of thousands of years, but it tells one very unified story. And that's what we're talking about. Today, our story takes place in the time of the judges. Let me kind of tell you where that lands in the history of Israel. Israel as a nation, they, were, uh, they found themselves as a nation. Uh, at the very beginning, there were slaves in Egypt. God frees them, and then they kind of act up a little bit. So he allows them to wander around for 40 years in the wilderness before he finally allows them to go into the promised land. From the time Joshua, who was their leader as they went into the promised land, about the time he dies, through uh, the point where they get a king, that period in between, before they get a king, that's called the time of the judges. That was not a real exciting time uh, for Israel because it's described this way. It was a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So it was a time like, well frankly, like today, a time when people do what they feel like is right in their own eyes. And so if it's right for them, then it's right. I can do it. And that's the way it was at this period of time in Israel's history. Not a real happy time for them. I mean, it wasn't all bad, but they did not follow follow God a lot of that time. What we're talking about today is an actual historical event. That's pretty cool. It's not one of the things that we call a parable, that we find some of those in the New Testament. This is an actual historical event. What was taking place during this time was a famine. If you find a famine mentioned in the Bible, about 13 of them are mentioned. Uh, it usually refers to a time that God is kind of uh, showing some discipline to Israel. And it just kind of has to do with maybe a time they're not following God. He kind of allows this to happen just to get their attention. And in this case, the, one of our main characters, his name is Elimelech. And I know, it rolls off the tongue, right? Elimelech, Elimelech, Elimelech. Say that ten times real fast. You're going to be licking, Elimelechin something. Elimelech. So Elimelech, his name means this. God is my king. Interesting that he, that was his name. Israel had no king except God, really, at that time. And so his wife is our other person in the story, and her name is Naomi. Her name means pleasant. Now, Elimelech and Naomi had two sons, and I won't give you their names here. I'll just tell you what their names meant. The first son, the oldest son, his name meant unhealthy. Well, there's a real dandy. Thank you, Dad, for that one. Didn't get a whole lot better. Their second name, uh, second son, his name was Puny. Imagine that one on the playground. Yeah, so here we go. 
So Elimelech and his wife Naomi, son unhealthy and puny, they loaded up and they moved because there was a famine. They moved to this other country named Moab. Now, as they moved, we don't know why they sold their land. Probably they were in some financial trouble. We don't know if they were going bankrupt. We don't know the situation. We do know it was kind of a lot of land, and they were kind of well-known people. It's almost as if you would take like Sam Walton's kids. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Not the Waltons. That goes back to the 70s. Sam Walton's kids. If they kind of lost what they had, and they had to move over to Oklahoma and go work at Kmart. That's kind of what's happening here. We've got Elimelech, Naomi, and unhealthy, and puny. And so they load up. Of course, puny didn't take up too much space. And so they load up, and they go to Moab. Now, here's the thing, though. That's not really good news that they go to Moab. Moab does not have a good reputation. Here's how Moab got its start. The name Moab comes from a man who's... Well, name happened to be Moab, and Moab was the son of Lot, if you might remember, is the nephew of Abraham. Ever heard us talk about Abraham? Lot was his nephew. Lot had a child called Moab. The problem is he had the child with his daughter, Lot. Don't think so, Lot is really his name, and he had a daughter, incest with his, had a son, Moab, incest with his daughter, So the Moabites didn't get a great start in life. And Moabites were from this bloodline of Moab. But here's the deal, too. They hated the God of Israel. They hated the God of Israel. They had their own gods that were idols. And you know what they did as they worshipped this one particular idol? They had child sacrifice. Certainly not all the children, but then the Moabites couldn't grow But they sacrificed some of their newborn babies to this idol. And God hated, hated that. And he said, this was a cursed nation. In fact, he told the Israelites, he said, I want you to stay away from these people. I want you to be separate from these people. I don't want you to to get all mixed up with these people. This is a cursed nation. They hate us. They hate you. And they sacrifice their babies. Don't, Don't get mixed up with these people. Well, that's kind of strange. Why would Elimelech, whose name means God is my king, why would he take his family, Naomi, you know, unhealthy and puny, and load them all up and go to a place that God has said, this nation is cursed? Why would he do that? Well, I'm going to tell you why. I have no idea. I don't know why. I can't tell you why. I I mean, why do we do some of the bonehead stupid things that we do? And then we do it, and then like days later, sometimes years later, we say, oh, I knew better. I I knew better. I shouldn't have done that. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. Elimelech, Naomi, unhealthy, puny, all load up. They go to Moab. Not a great, that's just what they did. Famine was happening. They go to Moab, sell their land. They sell their land. They go to Moab. Now, they get into Moab, and then Elimelech, Elimelech dies. His two sons, unhealthy and puny, they get married. So, I guess they didn't tell them their names. <laughs> but somehow, they certainly didn't meet on harmony. you got to tell them your name there. I don't know how they got around it, but they married. So, that's kind of happy. But then... Over the course of time, I mean, they kind of named them. I mean, they probably had 
they probably had some physical problems in their life just because, really, honestly, because of their names. And then, so these two sons die, and that leaves Naomi. And so here we have Naomi, and there's two daughters-in-law. They're with her, but Naomi is now alone in a foreign land in really a place that doesn't really like the Israelites. So she's in a foreign land And Naomi gets word, though, that things back home... See, Naomi was from Bethlehem. She gets word that things back home were a little bit better. And she thinks, well, maybe maybe I have a shot at surviving this if I could just get back home. Because here, being alone, no men in our lives here, it's not going to work here. See, it's not, I've got to get back home. So she begins to go back home, but she talks to her daughters-in-law and she said, listen, ladies, y'all are young and y'all can get married. I I can't help. I mean, I can't have more children to provide you sons. I I can't. I said, you're going to have a better shot. She said, if y'all go, go back to your families in Moab, go back to your culture. She says, go back to Moab and then they, one of them said, kisses her goodbye. She doesn't want to leave, but she sees the sense in it, and she goes. And the other one, she says, I, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm not going to have any of this. I'm staying here with you. And the one who decided to stay, her name is Ruth. And listen to how she words it here. In Ruth chapter 1, I'm going to read two verses here, verse 16 and 17. It'll be on the screen. Listen to this. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, Naomi, is what she's saying, I will live. Your people, Naomi, the Israelites, your people will be my people. Your God, the God, Naomi, that you are, the God, he will be my God. In verse 17, she goes further, wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And she says, may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Man, Naomi must have been an amazing, amazing woman, an amazing mother-in-law for this woman, this Moabite woman from a nation that hated Israel, from a nation that hated, that hated God. Naomi must have been an amazing woman for her to say, I will leave all of that behind and I'm going to go with you and I'm going to serve your God. I'm going to serve your God. He will be my God. Wow. Now listen to verse 19. It'll be on the screen for you. So the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, listen to this, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is that Naomi? The women would ask. In other words, is that really you? After all these years, you're back. Is that you, Naomi? That was big news that she came back. She said, it's me. But she said, don't call me don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant. She said, don't call me pleasant. She said, call me bitter because that's what my life has become. You know, she said, because I I went, I left and my house was full and I came back and it was just me, she said. So they arrive in Bethlehem at the beginning of a certain season. And the season is close to where we are right now. The season was the barley harvest. And, and in In Israel, that happened near about this time of year. That was the end of chapter 1. Now, chapter 2. 
So Ruth says, they're now in Bethlehem. Ruth says to Naomi, she says, Naomi, let me go and get us some food. Let me go follow the harvesters and pick up some food. Now, what she's referring to is called the law of gleaning, which means that if you were a landowner, if you owned a field and you had planted it, you could send your harvesters through that field one time. And they would harvest the field. They couldn't go back and pick up more. So anything that they missed, anything that was left, that was left there for the widows and the orphans, people that were destitute. And then they could come behind the harvesters and glean and take what was left. And so what's what Ruth is saying? And that was a law. That's how they had to do it. They couldn't harvest twice. They had to go through once and get everything they could. So there wasn't always a lot left over, but there was enough left over that those who came behind could survive. And Ruth was saying to Naomi, let me go and get our food for us today. Let me go find a field and let me pick up what is left behind. Let me see if I can get us enough to eat. Now, Ruth chapter 2, here's verse 3. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. (laughs) There's a fun name. And the relative, listen to this though, of her father-in-law, Elimelech. So this was a a blood relative of her father-in-law. Now, they were dependent upon this law of gleaning for survival. So here we have a young Moabite. Might I just remind you that Israel didn't like the Moabites at all for good reason. And they weren't welcomed in Israel, in most of Israel. So here's this young Moabite woman operating under the law of gleaning in a field owned by an Israelite. His name is Boaz. Now, Ruth has no idea that Boaz is a relative of her. She has no idea. She has no idea... Um, that Boaz is a wealthy landowner. She doesn't know that. Uh, She has no idea that Boaz is one of the town leaders, very similar to a mayor. She has no idea. So while Ruth is gleaning, here's what happens. Boaz shows up in his field, as he did frequently. And he sees. He sees. He doesn't know Ruth. He sees her in verse Chapter 2, verse 5, listen to how this goes down. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? Now, if you look in the original language, Bible in the Old Testament was written in the language of Hebrew. And if you look back to the Hebrew as that is written, here's what Boaz is saying in Hebrew. Bow chicka wow wow. And if you look at it in Italian, it says, Mama Mia. <laughs> if you look at it in Arkansan, it says, Woo-wee! Daggum, Bubba! Did you see that? <laughs> now, this is no accident that Ruth ends up in this field. I mean, it did just happen, but there's, there's no... I really don't believe in accidents. Now, Boaz sees her. He walks over to her, and here's what he tells her. He says, listen, Ruth, you just keep keep gleaning, keep gathering grain in my fields. You don't need to go to the other fields of these other landowners. You can get, and, and usually they had to, to get enough. He said, no, you just stay here in my fields. These ladies over here, they're working for me. You follow them. 
Just stay, stay close to them. And you'll be safe right here. You just stay in my fields. And then he goes over to these workers and he says, listen, guys, ladies, sorry. He says, listen, um, if she happens to wander in to areas that have not been harvested yet, that's okay. Don't get on to her. Don't shun her. And don't treat her poorly. I mean, everybody knew she was a Moabite. She was not one of them. He said, do not treat her poorly. And if she wanders into these areas, it's okay. And by the way, while you are harvesting, he said, I want you to take handfuls of grain and the straw. I want you to take handfuls and I want you to drop it in front of her so that she can pick that up too. That's what he told his workers. And that's what they did. And then lunchtime rolled around. And Boaz walks over to her at lunchtime that day, and he invites her to come and eat with him. And so he prepares lunch for her, and then he takes all the leftovers, and he packs them up for her and sends the leftovers with Ruth. Pretty sweet guy, huh? Yeah, so he sends it with her, and then she goes back and she, you know, harvests the rest of the day. And she thrashes before she goes home. She thrashes, separates the grain from the stalk, and she puts it in her basket, the grain in her basket, and it is full. And that just didn't happen. I mean, so this was pretty special. And she goes home to Naomi, and she walks in the door. She shows Naomi everything she's got, and the basket's full, and Naomi kind of raises an eyebrow. Hmm, what's going on here? And then she gives her the leftovers from the lunch, and Naomi is like, yes, something is definitely up here. <laughs> something is up here. And this is what happens in Ruth chapter 2, verse 19. Naomi says this. So where, where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? Because may the Lord bless the one who helped you. <laughs> So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today, his name, Boaz. What? <laughs> she knew that name, Boaz. Verse 20, may the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing us, he is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband, that man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers, she says. Now, James, leave this on the screen for just a moment. So here's what happened, though. Let me go back. So Ruth harvested that whole season in Boaz's fields, and it went from the barley harvest all the way through the wheat harvest. So it happened from late April all the way to early June, every single day, six days a week, she was in those fields with the wor other workers, but she was harvesting, taking food back to Naomi. Naomi knew this was a good thing. This was good. But I want to go to this word now, family redeemer. It's also called a kinsman redeemer. The nearest of kin, a kinsman redeemer. And here's why that word is so special. For the Israelites... If they got into financial trouble, they could do a couple of different things. One of the things, they could sell themselves into slavery for a period of time. Not, for, not forever. For a period of time, they could sell themselves so they would get money and then they would go to work. 
basically for free because they got an upfront load of money or they were paid a certain amount. They could sell themselves into slavery. They could also have another option. If they had land, they could sell their land. Now, it's not selling it the way we do, because when we sell it, we get a deed, it's yours, you own it. But what they refer to when they talk about selling land, it's more of a lease. So you give them a lease that says you can, you can have the land for this number of years, and it's yours to use however you want. It's yours. I have no say. It's yours for these years. At the end of these years, it comes back to me. So it was more of a lease, but they didn't oversee it. I mean, it was theirs for that period of time. In this case, Naomi, her, their family, they had sold their land, so they didn't have land. And when she heard Boaz, she knew he could be a family redeemer. That's not just a description. That's a title. Because the family redeemer could come along and they could buy back a person who had sold themselves into slavery. Or they could buy back land that had been sold and give it back to the family early. He could buy it back for them. And she was thinking, Boaz is our family redeemer, our kinsman redeemer. He can do this for us if he chooses he could do this. Now, here's what had to happen. Very specifically, he had to be a near kinsman, which is a relative, a close relative. He had to be able to do this, and he had to be willing to do this. Now, there's another thing that Naomi's thinking about here. It's another law. That's the kinsman redeemer. But there's another law here, and it's called, um, let me think what it's called. It's called the Leverite marriage. Now, the Leverite marriage was this. If, you, uh, if your husband died, left you a widow, and you didn't have any children, or if your children had died, and you had no husband, then you could go to your nearest relative, okay? You could go to uh, a nearest relative, and you could, you could ask them to take you as your wife so that you can raise up more children, because they needed children to inherit the land. And if there's no children to inherit the land, the women could not inherit the land. You see? So they need so you could ask them, and it's the law of the Leverite marriage. Now he had again, he had to be able financially to do it. And he had to be willing to do it. All right? Then he would have to go pay that price. All right. And so Naomi's thinking, all right, not only can we maybe get the land back for the family, but secondly, we might. Ruth might be able to have a husband and have a child so he can inherit the land. So she's thinking this. So now we go to chapter 3 in the book of Ruth. We're going to describe the scene here. The scene now is uh, at the threshing floor. So the thrashing floor, we're going to have a picture. James has one for us. It's a circle, and they would bring all the grain in there to thrash it. I'm not going to tell you how that happens. We don't, we don't have time. But they would thrash the grain in there, and then they would throw the grain up, and the wind would catch it, and it would blow the straw f further down into a pile. The grain just a little ways, it was heavier, into that pile. So if they did it right, there would be two piles, grain and trash. They would burn the trash, obviously save the grain. Now the thrashing floor, 
the Lord of the harvest, in this case Boaz, would be there for all the thrashing. Because that's his fine, that's his money, that's it right there. That is his bankroll, that's his money, that's it. He would be there for that. And they would work really hard during the day. In the evening they would have a big meal because it's a celebration time. And then they, they would go to bed. And he would sleep near the grain pile of grain. He would sleep very near it to protect it as Lord of the harvest. That was his, his security system. He would be there so it wouldn't get stolen. That's the thrashing floor. And Ruth and Naomi are having a conversation. Naomi says this to Ruth. Ruth, you need to go take a shower, put on your nicest clothes. A little perfume wouldn't hurt. (laughs) It's hot out today. (laughs) She said, I want you to go and go to the thrashing floor, and I want you to pay attention at night after Boaz eats his meal. Pay attention where he goes to lay down and where he goes to sleep. Because then I want you to go uncover his feet, and I want you to lay down at his feet. So here's Boaz at the grain, uncover his feet, and you lay down here perpendicular like that. Lay down at his feet. That's what I want you to do. So here's how it plays out. Ruth chapter 3, we're going to read this in the Bible, starting with verse 7. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in a good spirit, he's not drunk. It's just a happy, good time because this is harvest. It's going well. He lay down at the far end of the green pot, uh, green, grain pile. He was going to get some green. Of course, theirs wasn't green. I don't know what color theirs were, but they were grain pile. He's there to protect it. And he went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Verse 8, around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman at his lying at his feet. I mean, wouldn't you be surprised? Woo, who are you? He asked. Woo, that was a, got me there. He said, I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. She said, spread the corner of, of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Now, she's saying, take the hem of your garment, and and lay it over me. And here's what she, I know that sounds, it sounds kind of raunchy, I know. It sounds like she's propositioning him, like she's saying, bow chicka wow wow, but it's not what's happening at all. Not even remotely. This just isn't our culture. A man could marry a woman by simply placing the hem of his garment over her. And it was a man. She, here's what she's saying. She's saying, Boaz, you are my family redeemer. I'm asking you to marry me. And again, that sounds forward. But the way it had to happen, according to the law, is that she had to go ask him. He could not come and just offer to be the family redeemer. She had to go to him and say, will you marry, will you marry me? That's the, that was the custom. And that's what she was saying. There was nothing raunchy at all. This was the custom. There was nothing happening under the corner of the hem of that garment. Nothing. This was... This was, this was, this what she was saying, will you marry me? That's what she was saying. This is so cool. Because we saw this little romance budding, didn't we? We saw it developing and we saw this man who was way older than her taking care of this, her and, and Naomi. So Boaz is not offended at all by this. He's actually happy 
And he wants to be her kinsman redeemer. He wants to be her husband. And he says this, yes, I will. And we're like, woo, Boaz, way to go, bro. Broaz, that's what we're going to call you now. But then he says, but I'm not the closest relative. I mean, I, I would. I want to. But you have a closer kinsman than me. And he gets the first chance to be the kinsman redeemer. So he's going to have to be the kinsman redeemer. Boaz says, I, I'll, I'll go talk to him for you. He said, tells her, before you go home, he measures out six scoops of grain, and he puts it in, like, in the fold of her apron, and he says, now take this to Naomi. Take this six scoops home. And she's like, oh, okay, six. I mean, could have just given me five or seven. I'll take six. And she goes. She has no idea why. And she tells Naomi what's going on, what's happened. There's a closer kinsman, and Naomi's like, yeah, I know. I was just hoping. <laughs> she didn't actually say that, but we believe that's what she was saying because she knew. And so, um, but then she says, oh, and he, he sends this. And so she gives her the six scoops of grain. And Naomi's like, oh, I know what's going on. So it was actually, he was sending her a secret code. And we don't know that because we're not Jewish. But she knew exactly what that six scoops meant. She tells Ruth, here's what that means. It means... Because God, God created in six days and he rested on the seventh. She said, Boaz is saying this, I will not rest until I take care of this. This is so important to me. I'm going to take care of it. I won't rest until it happens. And she says, Ruth, I don't think you're going to have to worry. He's going to take care of things. And sure enough, here's how it goes down. Ruth chapter four. Now, verse number one. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Now, the fact that he had a seat at the town gate means he was an important guy in Bethlehem because you can consider their town gate like uh, a city hall. And so the people who had positions there were people of influence and authority. So he takes a seat at basically city hall. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, hey, come over here, sit down, friend, I, I want to talk to you. So they sat down together, and the guy did exactly what he said, sat down. I mean, Boaz had influence. And so, you know, this is also interesting because Boaz is talking to the family redeemer for Ruth. But the custom was Ruth was supposed to be doing the talking, and Boaz was like, don't worry, I'll take care of this. This is pretty special. So chapter four, I'm going to read from verse two. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. 10 was the number of witnesses. That's kind of a number was important. That's what they did. Verse three. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know, Naomi, who he did know because everybody had heard about it, who came back from Moab. She's selling the land that belonged to her brother. I mean, her husband, Elimelech. Now, that sounds deceiving, but it's not. Uh, she's not selling the land. She's actually buying back. That's what this means here. It doesn't translate into our culture, our language. She's buying back, um, redeeming, buying back the land that she had sold. That's what that all means. 
Now, he's saying you are the family redeemer, the kinsman redeemer. Now, in order to be that, remember, he had to be a near kinsman. He was. He had to be able to buy that back. He was. He had to be willing. Now, let's see if he's willing. Um, I, I thought I should, Boaz says, I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it right here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. He says, this has to be done. Let me know. We're going to take care of this today. Either you are, and if you're not willing, I'm going to do it. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. And at that moment, our hearts sank because we saw what was happening, the romance. We wanted it to happen. And right here, this guy gets in the way, and he says, I'll redeem it. And Boaz, his heart sinks. And Boaz fills him in on the rest of the details. Verse 5, we're going to read. Then Boaz told him, well, of course, you know, the purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite um, widow. That way she can have children who will carry on the husband's name and can keep the land in the family. So you're not really getting the land that's going to go to her family. You need to pay for it, though. And you've got to marry this Moabite woman. Might as well have been a Fleabite. You see, as the kinsman redeemer, he is required to take care of all of this, not just what he chooses. Verse 6, he says, then I, I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. He said, you, Boaz, you redeem it. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. And those were the words that Boaz wanted to hear. And honestly, that's the words we wanted to hear as well. I mean, he could redeem the land. He had the money to do that. But for some reason, he could not marry Ruth. And so here's what had to happen in their custom. If he refused to do it, he had to take off one of his shoes and give it because it, usually it was the woman who was taking care of all the asking. She would take his shoe and she would spit on him. <laughs> She's a little perturbed. She would spit on him and he would have to walk away one shoed. So just one flip to the flop. And it was kind of shameful because he should have done it. It was his duty to do it, and he refused. So it was a walk of shame. But when he handed that shoe, listen to what happened. So the other family redeemer drew, this is verse 8, drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. And he did his walk of shame. And that sandal that was a sign of shame for that guy was a marriage license for Boaz. Woohoo! I got the shoe. Wow. Verse 9, then Boaz said to the elders in the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech and then of unhealthy and puny. And verse 10, and the land I have, and with the land I have acquired, I have purchased, I have bought Ruth. He's saying I purchased her. This is very interesting. Ruth, the Moabite widow, 
of unhealthy. To be my wife, she, this, this way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. And it was Bethlehem. And you are all my witnesses, he said today. Now listen to this. We're, we're trying to finish this up. Why would Boaz, a respected man in this city of Bethlehem, Why would Boaz, a wealthy landowner, a respected Israelite, even consider marrying a Moabite, people who hated God, who hated Israel? Why would he consider marrying a Moabite woman named Ruth? And I will tell you why. We have to remember who the mother is. Of Boaz was. Boaz's mother was not an Israelite. His father was, but not his mother. His mother was an Amorite, which was equally hated, equally hated as the Moabites. She was an Amorite. And his mother, before she became a follower of God, His mother, the mother of Boaz, her name was Rahab, and she was a prostitute. Why why would Boaz consider marrying Ruth, the God-loving Moabite? We got to remember who his mother was. The former prostitute, now God-loving Why would Boaz marry Ruth the Moabite? I'll use one word to describe it. And the word, the word is grace. It's grace. I'm not going to go there now because I'm I'm running out of time. But in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew, a devout Jew, gives us the lineage of Jesus. Women, I, women were not valued in that culture the way men were. Jesus began to change all that. Don't Jesus changed that. But here, listen. And so in a lineage, they didn't mention women. It was a man. He, 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 and then Jesus. You know what Matthew did? He placed three women in the lineage, in his list of lineage of Jesus. One of those was Rahab, the former prostitute, now God lover, the mother of Boaz. Another one that he placed in there was Ruth, the Moabite. Why? Why? Why could Ruth be placed in the bloodline of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the entire world. Why would Ruth be in there? When she was a Gentile, not even a Jew, a Gentile. And I will tell you why. She was in there because she had a family redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. And the story, the historical story of Ruth and Boaz 
is in this book we call the Bible. Because it is one of those scarlet threads. Ruth and Boaz. It's a picture of you and me. And Jesus. Because he is your and my kinsman redeemer. Like Ruth, we were from a cursed land. Like Ruth, we were destitute. We needed help. Listen to how the Bible puts this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to read it. It's going to be on the screen. But when the right time finally came, God sent his own son. That means Jesus is God. He had to be God because he had to be perfect. Our, our kinsman redeemer had to be perfect. You know, let's go on. He, come, he came as the son of a human mother. So God came here fully God, but came through a woman. So he was also fully man. Your brother my brother, your kinsman, my kinsman. God made himself man so he could be your kin. This is so cool. And he lived under the Jewish law. Jesus lived under the law. He had to live it perfectly. So he was our kin. He met the first responsibility. He was able because he was the only one in all of history to have ever fulfilled completely without error the law. He was able. And then verse 5, listen to this. These first two words, to redeem. Do not let that word get lost because what the writer is saying is that Jesus is not just a redeemer. He's the kinsman redeemer. The family redeemer. Your family redeemer. Your kinsman redeemer. To redeem who were under the law. Those who were under the law. All of us. We were destitute. Sentenced guilty by the law. You and me. So that we might become God's children. He came to redeem us who were under the law so that we could become his family. So that he could place the hem of his garment over us. Put us under his wing so that we could be his. We were destitute. He was our kinsman redeemer. God placed this historical event in the Bible so that he could give us a picture of what was coming in Jesus Christ. And just as Ruth had to go to her kinsman, Redeemer, Boaz, and say, will you redeem me? You have to go to Jesus and say, will you redeem me? And guess what? He's your kinsman. That's why he came to this earth, became a man for you. He's your kinsman. He is able because he lived a sinless life. He is willing to do it. And guess what? He paid the price to redeem you.
And that price was his life. And now, you have to ask your kinsman redeemer to redeem you. He's willing. And my hope is that if you have never admitted to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. I need a redeemer. I realize that what you did paid for me. What you did on the cross when you died paid for my life. I realize that. And because you paid the price as Boaz bought Ruth, Jesus, you bought me. I'm yours. My hope is that you will say that right now in this moment in your heart. If you never have, say that to Jesus if you mean it. And here's what I'm going to ask every one of you to do this week. We simply continue reading in the book of Romans one chapter a day, just during this week, one chapter a day. If you didn't do it last week, just start with chapter one, but just pick up with wherever you left off one chapter a day and get to know your kinsman redeemer. Let's pray. God, You gave us these 66 books written by over 40 different people over the course of thousands of years. But it is all orchestrated by you for one unified story. And God, that is your redemption of your creation. And the redemption was at your cost. And I ask you in the name of Jesus, would you increase our appetite for your word that we may get to know you, the real you, as you reveal yourself to us in your word. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.